are now tuning in to the Mind Body Podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, it's your host, Lidor Dayan, and I'm very excited for you today because in today's podcast, I interview Paul Rivella. Paul is an NGA and IFPA pro bodybuilder, a physique coach, and the owner of ProPhysique.com. He is one of the most respected contest prep coaches in the nation, so stay tuned because you can learn a lot from this guy. So without further ado, let's begin the interview. First of all, I want to thank you for uh, giving the time to talk to me and uh, be here in my podcast. So I really appreciate it. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. So uh, first of all, uh, for those of uh, who don't know you, how did you get into fitness? Uh, my my. Basically, my entry into fitness came um, early on because I was very interested in playing sports. I played baseball through high school and uh, actually went and played some in college. And uh, I just became interested in the, the physique at that point. I remember seeing people that were, you know, bigger, more muscular, faster, stronger. And, um, you know, early on, I mean early, like ninth, 10th grade, I started aspiring to look different. And so I started, you know, I got a weight set for my parents and... Uh, bought some magazines and, you know, joined the weightlifting club at school and stuff like that. So fitness for me was um, was more just like a, a natural thing, a way of life. I was always super active. So, um, you know, once once you kind of get out, out of that college routine of going to practice every day, the gym kind of became my outlet. So I think that's probably when more I started taking nutrition and training a little more seriously and less about, you know, sports and baseball, basketball, volleyball. And when did you say like, okay, this is what I want to do for a living because you you really like uh, got into better shape, uh, but when was when you really took this to the next level and, and took it to a career? Uh, about five years ago, actually. Um, early on, I don't, I don't think maybe even 15, 20 years ago, anybody, there was no such thing as coaching, internet coaching, online coaches. There was no online. So um, my career that I have now didn't exist. And the only form of physical fitness coaching that I was aware of was being like a PE teacher or a personal trainer. And I was not interested in either of those. Um, I was always interested in more like academic pursuits. I love business. I love computers. Um, so I got into information technology. So the uh, the career aspect that I've transitioned to was purely by like force of those around me kind of suggesting I do it and, you know, the help of the others that I've known in the industry that were doing it at the time. You know, my first coach was Lane Norton, and he was one of the pioneers of coaching. And so his... His suggestion was really what got me started. So it hasn't been that long. I mean, if you think about the fact that I'm 41 and I've been doing this full time for five years now, 
five um, years now. You know, it's it's not been a long time. It's not been a long time. So what what would you say like for most people like I'm also a trainer and most people when I tell them like yeah I do online coaching but they say no I need a person like physically so they always like reject this online coaching because they think it's it's not gonna work online I need person so what would you say to those kind of people there's, there's both you don't have to be one or the other you know like I agree I have some people that approach me and they want me to work with them in the gym but that's not the uh, that's not the that's not what I do so yeah it's just it depends like the, the people that you're discussing it with are probably the, the clientele that want that in-person one-on-one personal trainer approach and if that's what you enjoy and that's what they need then I'm all for it I just find I get more enjoyment out of um, you know it's I guess it's more of a, a different type of personality that wants that wants that you know, online coaching, and uh, it's something that years ago you used to have to convince people to do. It's not that way anymore. Um, now it's more about convincing them that you can get the job done, which is, you know, done by track record and stuff. So just because someone wants an online coach or doesn't want an online coach doesn't mean either person is wrong. It's just, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. It's just, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. Yes. And obviously you are in an amazing shape, and you said you are 41. So, uh, uh, what uh, so, so I see many older people that always says like, uh, when I was in your age, I, I look so jacked, and uh, wait that you get married, have kids, and uh, also my metabolism is slower than yours now. So, what would you say to those kind of people, especially about the metabolism? So, I'm married and I have a son, and so yes, it's so, definitely a challenge. I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. There is more of a challenge. But it ultimately just comes down to priorities. What are your priorities, right? So I have always been, um, you know, rather obsessed with this part of my life. It's, it's um, I didn't identify it early on as a passion, but, you know, I think anyone that knew me growing up would have said my passion was the gym. I, I went to the gym before work, after work, in the summer when I was home from college. I went before baseball practice, after practice. I found time to get in the gym my entire life never thinking that it was anything other than um, just a hobby for me. Um, but I wasn't really very self-aware at that time. So I think, you know, when we're talking about people getting older and their priorities change, that's when we get into a place where, yes, it's, it can be tough. But if it's your priority, you'll make it happen. It's just, it's just a fact. And so I'm... I don't want to be the guy you're talking about. I don't want to be the guy that sees a 20-year-old in the gym and says, yeah, I used to bench more than you. Yeah, I used to be leaner than you. Yeah, I used to eat. And uh, as far as metabolic rate, I mean, that's an accepted fact is that our metabolism does slow down over time. However, it does not slow down to the point that you're going to add body fat just because you eat the same and train the same. As long as you are committed to being fit, you'll be fit. It's, it's the... It's an excuse, in my opinion, to think, oh, I'm older, so it's harder. So what? So what if it's harder? It's also more rewarding. I'm way more impressed with a jacked, shredded 50-year-old dude than I am with a jacked, shredded 25-year-old dude. You know, like, um, I think early on a lot of people get into the gym for <clears throat> egocentric reasons or, you know, attention from females or whatever it may be. But, you know, the guy that's 50 that's still doing it, that's, that's the true love for the, for the sport. The guy that's 50 that's still doing it, that's, that's the true love for the, for the sport. Yeah, it, it, 
most, most people like try to hold on to something like okay it's the because of the metabolism so this is why i i cannot get in, uh, into fitness so we are trying to uh, really tell ourselves a story so why we can't like get into the shape that we want right so uh, i see like most the difference in people's life is their standards and if you live that uh, in a standard that uh, my body is something that uh, i will not take for granted and uh, each and every month and year i will still keep working on it uh, physically and my nutrition so it's become the, a part of you and if it's something that's not your priority like you said so most people will just absolutely uh, and, and if they're making excuses for that they're making excuses for other things i'll find as well so you know there's in my opinion there are no excuses there's 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 obstacles to overcome and there's challenges to overcome but you know if it's important to you you will find a way and there's challenges to overcome but you know if it's important to you you will find a way and as a coach i see uh, many people are so busy and and they always eat outside and they're not counting or measuring anything uh, what in your opinion is the simple way to to people just just getting started this so uh, that can get into a moment the, uh, the, the easiest and quickest habits. thing you can do nowadays because of technology because of this right this makes our lives completely different we have a phone in our hand that is not a phone it's a computer you can download any number of apps or go to any number of websites and just start plugging in whatever it is you eat every day just start tracking it i think the biggest well, if, if you don't want the results, and if they still don't, don't do it. Do but you're, you're talking about people that are interested in how they can change and what the habit they can change. I think being aware of what you're eating uh, is a huge thing. And that's, you know, one of the things I most enjoy is when I can work with a client who has no idea about nutrition, teach them about the idea of tracking, about flexible dieting, about understanding the philosophy. And then within a, within a few months, they are now able to look at food completely differently. It's no longer good or bad. It's now how much macros or calories are in this item. What are my daily goals? How should I adjust? You know, I just talked to a client today who said, now instead of eating two apples a day for his snacks, he eats two Greek yogurts a day. That change in carbohydrates versus proteins helps his macros stay easier. And it was a simple switch. But before he started tracking, he, had, he was not aware of the difference. It was a good, healthy food, an apple, or a good, healthy food, a yogurt. They're not the same uh, macronutrient-wise. So once you start tracking and just being aware, and that doesn't, there should be no pressure there. I don't care if you eat pizza five times a day. Just be aware, and then you can look at your macros for the day. That's when you can start to go, okay, maybe maybe my fats are too high. Maybe my protein's too low. And you can start to alter the way you order your food. Now, instead of five pieces of pizza a day, maybe now you have a piece of chicken one of those meals, right? So it's just the idea of, 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 of having control of your life. Um, but it requires change. And for some people, they don't, they don't want to take that first step. And, but, but that's... As, as a coach, when someone reaches out to me, that's an indicator to me they're ready to put the work in. So, as, as a coach, when someone reaches out to me, that's an indicator to me they're ready to put the work in. So. Yeah, but because I, I see many people really want, they, they really want to, to get into shape, to track their calories and all, 
but they just get caught up in their daily activities and they just say like I, I really want this man but I don't have the time I don't have like I actually request that they do a few things before I work with them that just ensures to me that they're ready to be committed so if I was in your position um, it might be different I might actually since you're dealing with maybe local clients I might go with them and go shopping that day walk around the grocery store and be like show me what you buy show me what you eat you know how granular do you want to get it just depends on what your commitment is to those people and what their commitment is to you um, you can't make somebody be committed you can't make somebody have your passion you know so I don't I don't try to force that on anyone else and you know, I understand my lifestyle is not for everybody. I don't expect everyone to have the same goals as me. But if someone is going to be my client, um, they're going to put in the work. Otherwise, I don't need it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be associated with it. You're absolutely right. And when talking about deficit, uh, a lot of people like asking, like, uh, if I'm in a deficit all week, uh, how much numbers uh, do? I, I can screw up one weekend, right? Like if I, I go wrong in a, in a weekend, I can screw up all the week. So that's, how much a, uh, that's a very difficult to really question to give you an X amount on. So, you know, you're asking me how many calories would it take that's to screw a, up your progress for a week? Well, for someone that's taking in 1,000 calories a day, it's going to be a lot lower than someone who's taking in 4,000 calories a day, right? So, um, you know, it's not really a question I like answering because it just assumes negativity. What you know? What amount is bad? You know, if if you're not planning ahead and you don't have a clear goal, then then if you're just taking you know two steps back every time you take a step forward, it's not really something I'm interested in discussing. It's like you know, it's we're just going down a negative path. So basically, if you're going to go off if you're going to go off plan, then the plan is not being followed. Then do something else. Right? Yeah, yeah, like. As a flexible dieting coach, I will say this. So, you know, I don't expect my clients to hit their numbers every day. I don't I don't expect it at all. Actually, I don't like it. What I like is for them to understand that let's say they go over their carbs by 100 grams one day because something came up, right? And they were at an event and they overate and they had 100 extra carbs. Does that mean they screwed up their week? No. That means for the next four days, they take 25 grams off their totals. They won't even notice that. But it will balance out the equation for the week. It will give them balance. That's what flexibility is about. So for someone in this situation that goes off the deep end on the weekend, you know, if they're if they're eating two or three times their total calories within a day, they're not going to be able to get that off in the next week. You know, but if they go over a little bit, they can balance it out over the next couple of days, and that's really the goal. And if they can plan for it, they can do what I call banking calories, where if you know you're going to a wedding or an event, you can reduce your calories, take a few fats and carbs, take five grams of carbs off each day for six days. Now you've got 30 grams of fat for this event. 30 grams of fat is a lot. So those are the kind of things you can do, banking calories or being flexible the days following. It gets people ready to competition, right? Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's. As a natural bodybuilder, how can you really go to this kind of shape, like really low body fats? Uh, because naturally, we our body like all the, how, the fats. So how? how? Really go uh, you just grind your ass off. You feel and, like crap. Uh, doing it naturally. Uh, it's not a good place to be. Like, uh, you have to have a clear defined goal. That's why competing in bodybuilding is, is necessary to do that because... I myself would not get that lean without that visual of seeing other bodybuilders look like that before. It's, um, it, it allows you to push yourself past a place where you feel comfortable, where you're enjoying life. 
Um, it is a very difficult thing to do, but at the end, it's also very enjoyable. It's, um, you know, it's great to look back and know that you can do that. It's great to, you know, as someone who's competitive and, I, you know, and always been, I enjoy putting myself through that every few years. Now, I don't do it every year. You know, I haven't competed on a natural bodybuilding stage since 2012, and I'm not going to compete again until 2018. So getting to that level of body fat that you're talking about with, you know, no fat on the glutes, you know, completely, you know, 5% or whatever you want to call it, it's not something I undertake with uh, high frequency. It's, you know, it's far and few between, but... Yeah, so how do you do it? You just you set the goal, and you just grind until you get there, and you give yourself plenty of time, and you accept the fact that it's going to get difficult. And most people, like, after they end the show, like, really gain a lot of weight. So uh, Yeah, so believing in reverse diet so probably also not the right word. In but diet, what we, right? can, we can state as pretty much fact yeah, is that after a long period of dieting, your metabolic rate adapts. Your metabolism is slower because you've been taking in more calories, you've been doing, or taking in less calories, doing more cardio. The typical response after six months of dieting for a bodybuilding show is to go out and eat everything you haven't eaten for the next week. Now, when you ingest high amounts of calories, and I'm guilty of doing this myself, with a very slow metabolism over the course of days and weeks, your body is in such a place that it can store body fat very quickly. This is something I wasn't aware of years ago. Um, you know, when I first got into bodybuilding competing, there was, uh, you know, the time after the show was supposed to be the most anabolic. We know that is now very incorrect. It is not anabolic at all. It is prime for fat storage. Your testosterone levels are very low. Your hormones for storing fat are very high. So the reason that I suppose the reverse diet, or if you're a 3D muscle journey guy and you want to talk about the recovery diet, the main goal is just educating the athlete or the individual on what's going to happen. I don't care if you put on body fat, as long as you're aware of it and you don't give yourself a guilty complex when it happens. I like to educate the person and ask them what their goal is. Now, if this client just did a show, it's going to be doing a photo shoot in four weeks. We can't afford to put on body fat, so we will reverse diet very, very conservatively. If it's a bodybuilder and they say, you know what? I'm not going to compete again for three years. Then we'll be a little more aggressive with the reverse diet, do something closer that would resemble the recovery diet where we put on 5% of our body fat within the first couple days, get hormones back to normal again, then start building metabolism from there. Every person's different, but we can't deny the fact that there is a need for controlling calories after a long period of dieting. Whether it's for a bodybuilding show, whether you just did the Jenny Craig fat loss plan, Whenever a diet period ends, there needs to be a control in place or understanding of what's going to happen. Your maintenance calories are no longer what they were when you started that diet. They are now what they are when you end the diet. What can you do if you're like just starting to eat a little bit of something and you started to binge because you didn't eat that kind of stuff for a long time? Because many people like as the like once they they start to eat, I know for myself like when I did. Uh, a very very uh, uh, long cut uh, I was like 5% body fat and I when I started to eat I was binging and uh, I got fat and so how can you like you know you need to stop and you still eating uh, 
Yeah, while you're... Yeah, while you're I mean, so what you're talking like about is, like, basically like, eating uh, disorder behavior, and what we can do to combat that is basically so, educate, yeah, um, and uh, I've done the same thing. So I've, I've done that same thing. I've literally, like, been walking to get food, thinking, I don't want this food, and I just kept walking to look at the food, bought it, brought it back to my room after the show, ate it, didn't want to eat it. I just had that, that urge, like you said, where basically I was going to get some food and eat it. And that's, you know, that's our bodies trying to survive. So these are completely normal behaviors within that, that framework of being very low in body fat. And, um, you know, the hormones and the hunger signals that you feel after a show, understanding that they don't match your actual hunger needs, that's something that we can do through education. But in a situation like you're talking about, having a plan tends to help a lot. So, if after that show was over, after that control, after that diet was over, you didn't have your next goal set, that's when we get into these situations, right? When you have no next goal. When your goal was met, I got to this lean, okay, I'm done with that goal. Now if you have nothing. So we can talk about psychologically preparing yourself for the next phase, which is going to be reversing, maintaining, improving, avoiding these behaviors. Also, if you have a trigger food that you know is bad, and it's, say it's Oreo cookies or Tim Tams or whatever it is you like, and you open it, and you're going to eat one and leave the package open, maybe you take three out, put the package back in the pantry, go into the living room, sit down with the cookies and eat them. Sometimes just putting yourself out of reach, you know, everybody's different in this regard, but, you know, not putting yourself in a position where that's likely to happen. Um, you know, putting your mind in other places, listening to music, watching television. Uh, you know, when you start to focus on food, it can be very difficult to stop going for a walk. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I understand it. It's, um, it's always very difficult and it's easy to talk about and tough to manage when you're actually in that situation. Yeah, and uh, for men, like when they do a cut, uh, their testosterone, like you said, the testosterone levels are uh, dropped down, right? So, uh, how can you? increase testosterone because uh, uh, as we both know most testosterone boosters are just a waste of, of money right the best way so, is through healthy uh, diet and training really hard you know there's a lot of research uh, that shows you know heavy leg training uh, you know lower body training you know taking in a, an enough so the real issue when we get real lean is um, with low body fat you know our body doesn't have a lot of fat to use for testosterone production so yeah, it's just a natural part of it, and it's, it's to be expected as a natural bodybuilder, but it does return to normal levels, um, and it can take a little bit of time, but the best thing to do is just have a well-rounded diet, make sure you're taking in enough nutritional, uh, nutritional fat, and then also it tends to be really closely related to your body fat levels. Once body fat gets closer to your natural set point, you're going to see all hormone levels, including testosterone, uh, start returning to the normal levels. So, yeah, it's, it's not a great part of natural bodybuilding, but um, it's not permanent. It's definitely, uh, you know, definitely restorable, and that's why I recommend taking time, like I said, between competing um, because it can impact your, you know, your personal life, your social life, your, your uh, you know, you have a lower energy, lower ability to focus, things like that. So, yeah, that's not something I would suggest doing on a regular basis. And from your uh, perspective, like, what would you suggest? A slow and steady or a cut bulk diet? Because yeah. there are people um, like, uh, like... You know, I think it depends like on where you're at, where your starting point like, is, really um, what your goals are. You know, I've done, I've done both. But, I've done the, uh, you know, the put on as much body fat as possible, get as strong as possible for as long as possible, and uh, 
you know, it was fun, but at this point in my life at 41 years old, I'm no longer interested in being 20% body fat just to put a few more pounds on the bar. Uh, I also understand that as a natural bodybuilder, I'm not, just because I weigh 20 pounds more in the offseason doesn't mean I added any muscle to the, uh, the stage physique. You know, when you diet down, it tends to get pretty similar. So, you know, I tend to appreciate the, the slower approach at this point. Um, but that's because I have done the bulk. So if, if someone's in their 20s and they just, you know, they want to weigh 200 pounds and that's their goal, even if it's too much body fat, then I'm okay with that. 25%, that's when you're starting to see, like, a belly. Um, 20% body fat for me, I still have abs just because I'm kind of like ectomorphic, um, but I have a lot of lower back fat. So I was always able to kind of disillusion myself thinking, oh, look, if I look in the right direction, right light in the morning, I can kind of see an ab. So I'm not out of shape. But, um, you know, it's, it's to each individual person what they personally want to see. But, yeah, it is difficult to see progress in muscle size when you're a higher body fat percentage. But if you used to bench 315 for one, now you do it for 10, that's another kind of progress that, you know, can be very satisfying. Well, if you cut too fast, so yeah, that's the other issue is that, you know, that body fat has to come off. So if it requires you to be in a caloric deficit for eight months to get lean, you know, you're going to risk some lower quality training. So there's potential for um, losing some of the muscle that you built. So yeah, I don't necessarily agree with it for everyone, but I do think some people will just want to hit a scale weight, you know, want to hit that number, want to say they bulk. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that over the life, over the life of a lifter. Um, you know, as long as they understand that, you know, natural muscle just takes years to develop. What do you think about all this uh, pump, feeling the burn, uh, or getting, I, I have to get sore after a workout, and uh, I need to sweat in training, and that, are, are those an indication for a good workout? Because I see many people uh, get caught in that mindset of, well, no there is a psychological aspect to training, so, you know, you want to feel like you're getting a benefit out of it. So the burn, lactic acid, being out of breath, sweating, these are all indicators that you're actually putting in a lot of work in the gym. And so, yeah, that can be very important early on in training. But as we start to learn during an immediate and an advanced phase as a lifter, what's actually really important is training volume, quality of training, the, uh, you know, being safe, making sure your technique is, is proper so you don't get hurt, so you have longevity, um, you know, consistency over a long period of time is much more important than a one great workout, right? So, yeah, I think it's important to, um, you know, look at your goals and understand that, yes, sometimes there is value in pushing yourself, and, uh, you know, there have been times where I've been on programs that, have gotten boring to me because I didn't have that aspect. I didn't really get a pump. You know, doing powerlifting programs, you tend to get in that phase where you're doing a lot of training volume spaced out over several hours, and so the intensity is high in the gym. The weights are heavy, but you never really get a pump. You never really get that out-of-breath feeling. And so that can kind of, um, you know, you can kind of miss that. So I wouldn't discount the value of pushing hard in the gym. It just depends on the goals. You know, CrossFitters, push themselves extremely hard. They're out of breath after every round that they do. But their goal is not necessarily to be the biggest, most muscular guy or girl. Their goal is to get better at CrossFit. So it depends what your goal is. Is your goal to be a bodybuilder, powerlifter, CrossFitter, yoga, whatever your goal is, you know, the training needs to be specific to those, those goals. And uh, one last question that I always ask uh, the, the people that I interview, 
is uh, when the day comes and the legacy no I would like to live uh, first and uh, foremost would be is, the uh, as a great father like and a great son and a great husband you know just um, that I was good to those around me that matter the most to me second would be that um, you know I was able to take my passions spend my life doing it and then you know help others that were interested in similar things you know um, I'd love to know that people benefited from you know being associated with me around me working with me working for me whatever it may be um, I think it's very important to me I take that very seriously uh, I try to give more than I take and I would just want to be remembered as someone that, that did that mm -hmm. That's sounds great and I really wish you all the best and I wanted to from the bottom of my well, heart. Well, thank you, Lidor. Hope you have a great uh, rest of your day and I'll look so, forward to this. Uh, uh, I'll make sure we much. share it and get, get everyone get to listen to if it. If you enjoyed this interview or any other one from the Mind Body Podcast, feel free to subscribe to my podcast at iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and at my YouTube channel. Also, feel free to share this podcast on Instagram by tagging the Mind Body Podcast. Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body Podcast? So remember the FAST Factor. The FAST Factor stands for 1. Facebook. Become a part of the Mind Body Podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook the Mind Body Podcast community. Number two, act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. Three, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the Mind Body Podcast on YouTube. And number four, train others. Because just like I always says, leaders create leaders and you're all here to grow together. And by training others, you're training yourself. So this is the fast factor. Remember it. Facebook, act, subscribe and train others. Oh, and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your VAC senses. And the VAC senses stands for visual, auditory and kinesthetic. Which, when you use all the three combined, you remember stuff much better. For more information about my coaching, public speaking, and taking your mind and body to all new levels, check my site at lidodayan.com. Till then, never, ever forget to smile. See you soon.